0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to Skidai Talks. This podcast is brought to you by Skedai, the Student Center for Diversity, Advocacy, and Inclusion. We are a student organization that aims at fostering a more inclusive and diverse environment for students and staff in higher education. Today's topic is feminism, more specifically, intersectional feminism. If you're new to our podcast, here's how it usually goes. Each episode of Skidai Talks has a different host, usually one of the team members. Sometimes this host is joined by either another team member or, like in this episode a very special guest. Before I introduce today's guest, let me quickly introduce myself and my role at Skedai. My name is Genesis. I am the social media coordinator of Skidai. I am 23 years old and I was born on Bonaire to Dominican parents and I moved to the Netherlands about four years ago for my studies at the Hansa University of Applied Sciences. I am currently finishing up my studies in international communications. And I am joined today by Mwe. Mwe, thank you so much for being here. Please go ahead and introduce yourself. Thank you so much for having me. And hi, my name is Mwe.
1: I'm the former president and vice president of Black Ladies of also known as Blog. I'm 22 years old and I was born in Zambia and raised in the Netherlands. I'm currently studying biomedical diagnostic at the Hansel University of Applied Science.
0: Awesome. I am actually a very big fan of Black Ladies of Honinga. I love all the work that you and your team have done throughout the years. Could Could you tell us, and I mean, well, mostly the listeners, about blog and your role as a board member? Yeah, of course I can. Professor, um, thank you. Like blog
1: is, which I've been doing this for a while now, like three years. And um, so what blog is, is that uh, there are a few girls that like created the group chat, what we call it's a group chat, Black Ladies of Honing, where they first of all gathered some girls of African and Caribbean descent just to group chat where they could talk and feel at home and feel like. You know, they could have that black community for women especially in um in a place like the Khronia, where there's not a lot of us around. And this yeah. group chat actually grew out for um to become a quite a big group chat now with a lot of girls coming from all over the world. Um I'm comp- Girls of African and Caribbean descent coming to Groningen to study and they join the group chat. Um, yeah, so they have a sense of home and a sense of belonging and just
0: a sense where they can feel safe and have a safe space. Oh, that's great. What, what actually motivated you to join Blog and, and to then apply to become a board member?
1: Um, so like I mentioned before, I am, uh, I've been raised in, in the Netherlands and especially in the North of the Netherlands, what, um, the Netherlands is like, especially North of Netherlands has a lot of white people, let's <laughs> just say it. And I literally had, I think up till university, I had maybe like two black friends. What Mm -hmm. was, um, I mean, I still loved my life and I still lived it, but it was, let's say I felt like a sense of like, I wanted more. I wanted to have, you know, those black friends. I was seeing my cousin living in the UK and having all those friends. So I remember when I found blog, I was like, oh, like I need to be here. I want to make some friends. I want to, you know, be in the community more and just kind of have that group. And that was a, why I joined blog and why I definitely joined the board is because I wanted, you know, all girls to kind of straight when they come to Chronia, like find the group and just have it, and we could just grow it out to be even more than it already is. So yeah,
0: yeah. Oh wow, I can I can relate a lot to that. I think in 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 how and what drew me to Skedai. I mean, our, our messages and 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 our target group are different, but I think in the in the core both of our organizations really aim to to just create this safe space for underrepresented groups. And, and I can relate a lot to that. I think, I mean, for me it was different. I didn't grow up in the Netherlands, but having come here four years ago and, and really being confronted with that, with that, um, yeah. that I was a racial minority all of a sudden. And, and as you said, really had n- almost no black friends when I first moved here, actually I had no. no black friends when I moved here. <laughs> mm. So yeah, I think that, that, it, it, through Skidai and getting to to, I guess, advocate for for more of that diversity and, and inclusion, um, I felt a bit more fulfilled. Yeah, yeah. No, I can imagine
1: because I mean, I think. Um... Did I ask you to join the group, or did you join yourself, or I don't remember exactly how it happened.
0: Um, I I joined myself through your through your website because at first I I was following you on Instagram. I didn't know of the group chat. Until, yeah, yeah, until the the group chat was um was mentioned in your website after you launched the website. Yeah, that's when I when I found out about it. true, yeah, no, because I feel like that's what you said
1: that especially I can imagine you coming from a country like Bonaire where there's a lot of like there's a big group of you know black people black women to coming to just a little little like city that is phoning it that it's kind of like a cultural shock yeah Um, yeah yeah
0: it definitely was and I think that one of the reasons I'm so glad that blog grew so much is because at the time or when when you started blog I wasn't really aware of blog I found out Mm. about blog because I coincidentally knew you and that's yeah. how I, I found out about it. And I just think about so many um, lonely black girls that didn't know about the existence of blog. And it's so great that the platform keeps growing mm. and that more people find out about it so that more people can join on time, you know, because I think yeah. I joined like a year ago. So it wasn't even that long ago. So, no. so in this way, people can join on time and and find that support group as soon as they get to Kroninger. No, exactly yeah I think that's
1: also what we're that's why we're trying to expand you know we have the website we have we want to get more out there we're gonna um, try and be an info market so girls and you know um, yeah
0: just young girls or even
1: older women can just join and just you know find that space and group
0: Oh, that's great. That's awesome. Yeah. I always see, I, I mean, I keep track of the group chat and I see that every time we get, we get um, people that are just fresh in and joining and it's really, it's really refreshing to see. Yeah. Well, in line with our topic of today, namely feminism, mm-hmm. why do you think that the Netherlands or well, specifically Kroninga needed an initiative specifically for black women? Um, I think it's specifically, I
1: mean, it's like I said, if you look demographically at um, the Netherlands and especially in the north of the Netherlands, like I've mentioned before, it is just um, like it is just very very white. Sorry, yeah. I have to say it, but like looking if uh, like uh, if you look at the at Rotterdam or Den Haag or Amsterdam, there's a lot more um, people of color and all different uh, ethnicities there. And yeah. the Netherlands sometimes, I mean, Groningen sometimes lacks that a lot. So you know when you and Even as a woman, like, I think Kroni is a big student city, so it probably has a significant group of women, but not women of, not a big number of women of color. Like, Blog has about 155 girls at the moment, but I think only 80 actually active girls. So that is already compared to 80 girls that we have in Blog um, right now to maybe, I don't know, 10,000, you know, other women of other ethnicities that are not black um, in Groningen, you can imagine how, like, lonely that can feel, like we were mentioning yeah. before, and how scary that can be. And that's what um, Blog was really set out to do, to, like, find those girls together and to put them together so that they feel uh, a sense of belonging and just safe, you know, like, not like they're alone. They know that this, you know, a group that they can go to if they need anything. Um and also, yeah, as a woman, I think that's important in, a, like, a city. Even though Khorne's not the biggest city, it can, it's still a city and it can still be scary as yeah. a woman, and especially if a woman of colour, so...
0: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's so true. I think, um, well, my family lives in, in Rotterdam and when I lived in, in, in Honigum, as I was following my studies, I, I just kept moving back and forth um, Mm -hmm. to Rotterdam to go visit the family, you know, and it was just so drastically different the moment I arrived in Rotterdam. And it was just looking around me and seeing, as you mentioned, like all of this diversity and all of these people of color around me that in, in was just so random it was such a rare occurrence i mean yeah. as you're as you're saying like everyone in this group chat um the only for for many of us the only time that we come across each other is in this group chat never really outside of that no
1: exactly And I think also, like you were saying, looking at the point that the feminism part of it, it's also like, you know, women as women, we already struggle uh, in different parts of, like, just life as a woman. And then can you imagine as a black woman that multiplies nearly or even more than that, because there's things that come to play as, like, race. And and that's, I think, one of the biggest things that comes to play. And, you know, age and, you know, how, um, yeah, I think those come to play a lot. And...
0: No. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's that it's that intersection of you know being black, but also being a woman. I mm. I think one of the most memorable conversations that have happened in the group chat um, was once we had a conversation about. I mean, conversations just erupt randomly in the blog group chat, which is also so great. Yeah, and everybody kind of gets to participate. You can either be like actively participating, or you can kind of just listen and learn and and, mm. and read all the resources. But I remember this one time we were exchanging resources about whether or not abolishing the police is a is a safe thing for black women specifically. And mm-hmm. while we didn't all agree with each other, I mean there was there were some people that that felt like, you know, since black women are, are so disproportionately affected by gender-based violence and domestic violence, yeah. that they would feel unsafe not having the police to resort to, while others mm. would argue, yeah, but is the police really helpful in that situation? Are there better alternatives? And just exchanging those resources in an environment where you know that you're not going to encounter either men who dismiss your struggles or white women that belittle it or compare yeah. it to their own experience, dismissing our intersection it was just so refreshing. It really was that, that very safe environment. It really reminds you of the the importance of intersectional feminism. Yeah, no,
1: exactly. I think it's just that's also where it comes to play, where you can just have that conversation but not feel judged and not know that, you know, whatever you say has been said and you might not agree, but it's still, um, you know, it's still being heard and it's still being read and it's still being acknowledged because yeah. that's a lot of things. Like sometimes with, you know, like you said, with men, it cannot be acknowledged. Like you can say the words, but they go in one in one ear and out the other and yeah and uh, yeah especially with, like white women can be like but what do you know you know like I know it better and it's like that kind of education that comes to yeah. it and like the, what comes to play with the race <laughs> it's like oh yeah you know be- because it's like oh she's black so she's probably less educated than me what is you know this whole other thing with the intersectional you know feminism part where I'm like that's not how it works and we're still supposed to be you know women supporting each other in that sense. And that's like, that doesn't come to play in, um, the, you know, black ladies of a group, what's that?
0: Yeah. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, could you could you actually elaborate a little bit more on on intersectional feminism and, and what that actually means for you? Yeah, I can
1: actually. Um, I actually have like one example where I wanted to tell you guys about. Um, it's like one of my friends. I was talking to one of my friends recently, and she's um Muslim. She's from Somalia. Um, and you know we she used to never wear a a headscarf. And mm-hmm. I, f- the first time I saw that in Shulmish Muslim, I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, like you're not wearing it, you know, like, you must have your own reasons for it. But I'd never really asked her why. Yeah. Um. And I just, I was okay with it. But, you know, the thing about intersectional feminism is that it's about like, um, you know, a lot of people just know feminism and this one type of feminism, but mm-hmm. there's like intersectional, you actually break feminism now and you, the things that come to play are race, that comes to play, um. you know, that if, There's also not only race, but it's, like, also kind of the age and gender and all that kind of things, you know, that come to that intersectional feminism. It's not just the feminism, as we know, for that, like, fits the white, like, the white feminism, you know, fits the yoga type ladies, like, that kind of thing. Yeah, Yeah, exactly, yeah. Yeah. So the example, my friend is that, um, so I asked her, like, she said, like, oh, I'm I started wearing my, um, my headscarf again. And I was like, oh my God, that's so cool. Like, how come that's so like, how come you set this step? And she told me like, you know, I'm the reason that she's starting to wear her headscarf again is because it, she like had a whole process where she was thinking like, she reevaluated herself she sat down she thought about her values her uh, perspectives and she said like wearing a headscarf makes her feel closer to God and it gives her that kind of um yeah it it kind of makes her feel close to God and also belief in herself and just like peace in herself and um she was telling me how like this had first I think it was like the thing with when you're at maybe like a whole dutch school and you're wearing like a headscarf you might get bullied or they think like you're being you're being oppressed by a man And that's not what it is. Like, you know, a lot of women don't wear headscarves because their husband says they have to cover their hair. Like there's a whole different story to it. So she's like, I'm wearing this because it makes me feel good. I feel closer to God. It's for my belief. It's because, you know, I want to go outside and this is what makes me feel better than actually having her hair out. So, and that's like, when I was like, oh, wow, this is like a, this is this, this is just feminism. She's like, happy with herself she feels strong she's a strong woman but yeah. she's still wearing that head and it has nothing to do with men or anyone else telling her to do it she did it herself like she used to not wear it and she's decided to wear it now and actually I spoke to another friend of mine who also said she started wearing it more now and I'm like that is so great that yeah you know that they're doing this and I think that's it's just like it's intersectional feminism it's not about like You know, with feminism, everyone thinks like, oh, you know, if you're doing this, you're wearing hijab or if you're like um, black, uh, black women at home looking after children and not working and thinking, oh, like you're being oppressed or this is like you're not doing the full feminism type of thing. You're being chained, locked down. But that's not it. Like if I decide to stay home and look after my children and I can still be a feminist, like a feminist then. Mm -hmm. And it's the same as with like my friends, like they can still be a feminist and like, you know, wear a headscarf.
0: Yeah. 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 And I think that's the problem with, with that white feminism and that girl boss feminism is that mm. indeed it's just it caters more to the patriarchy than than women allow themselves to believe. And, and which is why intersectional feminism is so important that there isn't just one way to be a woman and us trying to enforce that ideal under the umbrella of feminism, you know, you need to be. You need to work super hard. You need to become a CEO. You, you know, you can't quit your job after you have children. You, yeah. you should not wear a hijab and be oppressed by a man. Mm-hmm. You know, all of those narratives, women don't understand how, or these, these, these white feminists and these um, girl boss feminists don't understand how harmful that is and how much it really caters to the patriarchal concept of, of trying to force women into this one frame of womanhood. No, exactly.
1: Exactly what you said. It really like it really puts that patriarchal kind of thing. And then they're, the thing that they to add is that they think they're right. And then obviously, like I wouldn't blame them because they probably think they're doing the right thing. But that's not how it is. Like, you know, we're not just only one person. Like we're not just only one ethnicity. So we're all these different things, and we have all these different cultures and beliefs and all that type of thing. And with intersexual, uh, you know, feminism, you all add those different aspects to it. And that's like what makes it so good and like more important that we see that as the feminism that like feminism now and not the old the old one. Because you should you know you should look at someone's like economic status, the nationality, their language, their, you know, their beliefs, all that like comes to play
0: when you look at someone anyways. So yeah. Yeah. And it's so and it's not it's not at all inclusive or feministic to to ignore the ways that feminism can intersect with all those things, mm. that you said, you know, with all those with all our different social identities, you know, like living yeah. with a disability, being queer, or being trans, you know, all mm. of these things have play a role in in the type of feminism that you need. No, exactly. No, it is it's
1: very important. And I, I love that like I mean, even though intersectionality, uh, intersectionality has been there for a while, and also feminism, like it was um, created by Kimberly Crenshaw. But I feel like I, it's great that the conversation is coming up now more and more. The people are kind of understanding it more and more that it's just not this one way. There's like yeah. loads of ways, you know, to go. Um, yeah.
0: And it's actually really great to see that. Yeah, and Kimberly know, Crenshaw, yeah, she, she Kimberly Crenshaw, she, she coined intersectionality like yeah 30 years (laughs) 30 years ago maybe Mm -hmm. yeah like around that time yeah and I I actually very shamefully just learned about intersectional feminism like about two years ago yeah and and I and I mean also I, I learned about it in a wrong way which is why I think for so long I hated intersectional feminism I hated the entire concept of it I mean now I can realize that That hatred came from, you know, being in a state of unknowing and I wasn't educated enough. And therefore I thought that intersectionality, like my intersectionality as a Black woman um, Mm -hmm. meant that I was excluded from fully participating in feminism. Like I thought that because of the color of my skin, I could no longer be a part of the feminist community because then Mm -hmm. I was, you know, I was a Black woman. So I couldn't just be a woman. And that's how my brain processed it at the time and I was like man you know I've lost so many communities coming to the Netherlands when I came here four years ago I lost my Bonarian community I lost my black community I lost my Dominican community and you come here you think you know but at least I have women you know that's never gonna change and then you're introduced to intersectional feminism and I thought oh no this means that I it's been, been taken away. Yeah, it's been taken away. And it's and it's but I, I slowly started noticing it around me that all these women that were feminists or, that claim to be, that a lot of the times their their aims and their goals as feminists were just things that would either harm other people, you know. For instance, mm. a big example of that is a big pursuit of being the big capitalistic girl boss. Yeah. And it's like, oh, but that harms so many women that are underpaid in Mm. in in countries that are recovering from colonialism like yeah oh no and so then that's when I really started to to appreciate intersectionality and understand it better and realize why I needed it Mm. but I think at the end it was just really it wasn't it was more a battle instead of with with intersectionality it was more of a battle of coming to terms that you know I was a black woman yeah yeah and
1: and I think that's, like, how you said that is so interesting to me and so beautiful in the same way that you first, obviously, like, you didn't understand. And that's why I always say education in any sense. Like, also just, like, at the Black Lives Matter protest, I always always say, like, education is key. Yeah. Like, if you not educate yourself, you won't fully understand. And even myself, like, I am not an expert at anything. I'm not an expert at intellectual feminism. Uh, I am still always learning. But that's why I'm like, oh, I need to educate myself, check myself, um... And it's so interesting to just kind of, you know, when I remember thinking of like, I mean, I, I would love to just, you know, get a good job, work, and, you know, be able to fend for myself, like my mom has done for herself. But, um, you know, at the, end of the day, I used to think, like, oh, can you be a feminist and still be a, like, stay at home mom? I just think that that's not possible right because you're not like you know because that's what they've been telling us they're like you know a feminist needs to work hard you know the big boss the top lady has to you know get higher pay than maybe her husband or something like that or who even needs a husband that's a feminist (laughs) like that kind of whole thing um and I was like oh you know is this even possible and then that's when I kind of started going getting into that kind of like um and it was just because a blog that I started getting into like intersectional feminism I was like hey you can be like you know feminist is not like I feel like it was so. I hated that. Like it was just so one. Like one. There was just a few um, ideas people had of it, and people just stuck with it. And that's why I think it was a lot of people don't like feminists actually because it was so rad- radicalized and yeah. so um, like kind of blown out of like perspective out to what it actually is into going back to the core. Because if you look at it now and if you explain to people, you know, intersectional feminism, a lot of people be like, oh yeah, that's, you know, that's, that's, I can stand behind that. And um, I agree with that. But I kind of remember when I actually realized, you know, okay, so it's about actually taking back the layer and you can, it's about, you know, making sure that you do what you're comfortable with as a woman mm-hmm. and that you are taking the steps that you want to take and that you're, you know, at peace with yourself and, Yeah, that's like kind of what I kind of realized. and I was like, oh, that's, you know, that's something I stand behind. And um, so I also totally understand you when you're kind of getting that, like, oh, I can't be part of it because I'm a black woman. Um, Yeah. And that's where I think it's great. We're having this conversation
0: and we're educating people now more and more about it. and That's the best way to go. Yeah to really truly really understand feminism you know while well, i on the one hand thought that that intersectional feminism just excluded me for you feminism at a time you thought that it was just something that was so restrictive yeah. you know and and coming to to understand that better and as you said like really educating ourselves and empowering ourselves through education to really understand that that's that's that the point of intersectional feminism is that it's freedom it's mm. yeah that's really great, actually. How was your your relationship with feminism in general as you were growing up? Because you said that you know that it was it was often very radicalized. Where was how was that conversation in your home and, and growing up as a it, as a black girl in in, in
1: yeah, that's a good, that's a good question. Like, um, looking at my family say, so like, I've had a very stable family life, like my mom and dad, um, both very really strong characters. My mom's a strong black woman. My dad, you know, he, um, you know, make sure that we're like at school and being educated, but, um, I feel like we never actually really spoke about it that much. Like I was kind of looked at my mom as obviously being like, you know, strong, independent woman. But yeah. she still obviously, like, had help from my dad and I, res- like, I respected that. But the conversation never really opened up much in our in our family house, as I think about it. So I think I only really got into feminism, like, when I was a bit older. I kind of started uni and also, um, you know, also on TV, you know, because you'd see these feminist ladies, like you said, big yeah. boss ladies, yoga, free type of ladies that drink. I don't know, like you know, this is the picture we have of them at that time. So that's when I first got in touch with it. And that's when I was kind of, you know, seeing like, oh, it's quite restricted. It only has these few things. And at that time I couldn't say I was actually, I would have loved to say like, I'm a feminist because I, but then I felt like there were, I couldn't be a feminist because it was so restricting and it wasn't like things that I valued were, um, were not, um, a top priority as being a feminist but now that I know actually about you know intersectional feminism and just kind of have like you know re-educated myself more about it, I'm like oh I'm definitely you know a feminist but yeah at the time when I was younger I didn't fully like I didn't fully feel that way because I didn't understand these roles and these you know values they had that didn't align with my values so yeah
0: yeah, oh that's very interesting. I yeah. um I grew up in a well, I, I grew up in a in a Latinx household and I and I consider mm-hmm. my parents to be very progressive. Um okay. for being for having grown up in that environment because unfortunately that's an ex-culture can be very misogynistic and while a lot of those kind of still happened in my home because they were kind of tradition you know and everybody just kind of flows with them they did try to break down certain barriers but Mm -hmm. I just remember as a kid that there were just so many like subtle things you know for instance uh, little things like I, I when I had my period I wasn't allowed to to like no one was allowed to know the boys weren't allowed to know I wasn't allowed to Mm. hang out with boys Um, there was actually this tradition that when a girl gets her period that she needs to learn how to clean the household like she needs to be kind of like taken with her mom to clean the household and learn how to cook so that she because now she's like she's a young lady so you know she can be prepared Mm. for marriage and that was one of the traditions where my mom was like this is absurd we're not doing it but that's Mm. that's kind of the environment I grew up in And, and yeah and so i was like and and i claimed to myself i labeled myself a feminist very young mm-hmm. like at a very young age just because i was so i was so outraged by everything that i felt like i i needed to do because i was a woman yeah but at the time also like i need to acknowledge that i also didn't fully understand it for me like feminism at that time at that very young age was Um, I hate men. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. that's not the point. But that's what I thought it was. I was like, no, you Mm -hmm. know, I hate men because they have it so much easier. And of course, as you grow up and you educate yourself, and you understand the structures that that form misogyny and the patriarchy, and you understand it better. But that was that's how I was introduced to feminism. Oh, that's so that's actually so interesting, and I totally get
1: that. I think as a like as a young girl, I would also be like, I hate men because you know, looking at you know, also our female like a. um anatomy like just like wow like we have to bear the children we have to do all that so at that age I would have definitely um it was so probably said I'd hated men but, yeah <laughs> but it's really interesting to see that your parents are um that, that your mom was that pro- progressive and your parents that progressive. I think that's really great to hear because maybe a lot of like you know girls and women didn't grow up in such a household and
0: yeah for sure. I think all my other Latinx girlfriends were not in the same in the same environment. so I felt very lucky to be in that space. but at the same time, like I shouldn't be lucky. you know, everyone should be able to to grow up in a in a space where they are treated as equals to their you know little brothers.
1: yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I felt like in my house it was never that um because I have one older brother and a sister, and I think that's like nice thing. we weren't really compared much or like, you know, he had to do all these type of strong things. Like if I was strong, then I could help my dad out in the garden or mm-hmm. something like that. So that's what I was so kind of respected as my mom. But like I always tried to say, um, my mom is, you know, we always joke around within the blog girls, joke around that, you know, we have African moms that have these tradition you know, of being, you know, women in the house. And my yeah. mom um has spent a lot of her life now in Europe. So she's kind of drifted away from that. But there's still things that you can see, like you know, where, like she wants me to have a wedding and all that type of things. But yeah,
0: yeah. there's still like the little traditional, yeah, <laughs> yeah, ...miss inside of her. Yeah,
1: that's on the sideline of feminism. Sorry, I just drifted <laughs> away.
0: But yeah, no, oh, that's a great story. Um, but you study, like, going back to 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 intersectional feminism specifically mm. in your studies. You study. Biomedical Diagnostics. Yeah, In Hodinga. So, how's that going? Um, Tell me a little bit about it. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Like, I always try to say, because um,
1: I, like, med- biomedicine is great. It's a good study. It's very, you know, like, I... I always say I'm bad with like the big words because a lot of my friends, they're like, they study law, they study international relations. So they have all these beautiful words they use um, when they talk on like podcasts or interviews and stuff. And I always say like, I don't have that because I've done biomedical. So if it's about (laughs) medicine or about like the human anatomy or things that you can talk to me and I'll use big words, but um, (laughs) no, it's been really good. I really like it. Um, I definitely want to do something with it later and
0: yeah. Oh, that's so cool! And and yeah. do you like how was the subject of, of feminism handled within your study program? Um,
1: yeah, it doesn't. The feminism didn't get discussed a lot in our study. Uh, maybe because it's a more like medical study. Um, even though we had a lot of women and women in our study, it didn't get discussed as much as it maybe should have. But I do have an example of um, one of the times. Actually, this is a you know a good one of interse- uh, intersectional feminism and just like racism discrimination. Is that um, one of my friends once came to me and she said to me like, way, um, I think the teacher is giving me a lower grade because of you know who I am, how I look?" And this is my friend. She was Muslim um, from uh Syria I think and um, I mean she said to me this is what I think and then I remember that time that I thought like oh like I'm not sure if that's actually the case because you know he didn't do the same for some of our other um female friends who are also you know ethnically Mm -hmm. not white um but at that case in the moment time I remember thinking like you know was that fair of me to say to her but um yeah it is a problem still in like, you know, this is a problem. She felt this type of way that like, you know, this male professor was giving her a lower grade, um, maybe about, you know, because she's wearing, maybe because she's wearing, um, a headscarf, maybe because she's from Syria, maybe because she's a woman. Um, and these things that I like, I don't know how the whole process finished. I think he eventually let her redo the test. Um, but it's like something that is, you know, important that has to be, you know, it's a thought about at studies that, you know, us like us women and us women of color are going to face these kind of um, obstacles, what studies.
0: Well, you know, the thing is that, you know, as, as you were telling me the story, I kept thinking, you know, that's also kind of part of it. Every time that you're kind of part of an underrepresented group, there's always the paranoia of was this person treating me badly because they're a bad person or because they're having a bad day or is it, you know, racism or is it sexism? And there's always this paranoia. And I think that I agree with you. I think it's important to, to remove the possibility of that happening. Like if you know that the person has no idea who you are, because they don't, they don't get your name. They don't get to make an assumption, you know, when they see the name way or when they yeah. see the name Genesis Zaragoza, that they That you that you it kind of removes that paranoia because unfortunately Mm. for me, one of the things that has become so evident after living here four years is that that is so constant. The minor thing that happens, you're just like, What was this was this person racist? You know, that I get a bad grade because this teacher is racist or because I actually I did a bad job. (laughs) And that paranoia is also, I guess, has become a part of it. And it's so important that. That our education institutions kind of remove the possibility for that. Yeah, exactly.
1: And also like also with that comes to play, the race and then the, you know, being as a woman getting your your grade graded by a male. And obviously there's a lot of male, like male um, professors and teachers at universities. So yeah, I think that's something hans should look into to doing
0: yeah and Um, it's so simple like it's such a simple thing to do it's just not add your name to it no it's like she'd
1: add the number of our everyone has student numbers like that's what you need to know and then eventually you know
0: the system will know that student number is mine so yeah yeah actually like i'm thinking back i think that the last couple of years of my study program we didn't have to add our our names anymore Okay, like, I'm not mis- no because we did digital ones and then you would like log in and it would already have your name in it, yeah so, yeah I did we did hear of some teachers that would tell us like you know I don't i I purposely don't look at the name so like this professor would would specifically like censor the name mm. so that they wouldn't be impacted by by their own biases and prejudices when when checking a student and it, i mean it shouldn't be while it was cool like it shouldn't be their initiative like it should no. be regulated by the school no exactly and i think um
1: i remember like having a conversation with blog girls or even blog board members that they had this problem at the uh, that they felt like one of their teachers was very racist and like the uni didn't do enough about it and they took way too long to do about um to go about it or even You know, you even have teachers that like might misuse their power as a, you know, like with them being a male and then um, their power on younger women. And these are things like I think universities should pay a lot of attention to um, as well.
0: Yeah. I mean, that's a very dangerous territory and not having any policies in place to do something about it is, yeah, it just really, really puts students at risk. Mm, Absolutely. Yeah. And when it comes to, like, your peers, like, your fellow students, how was mm-hmm. that relationship? Um, with, like, do you mean with feminism within the- Yeah, I guess maybe you're, yeah. in, in the intersectional feminism in general with your classmates. And
1: I think, like, surprisingly, like I said, like, a lot of the... In my class, there were a lot of females. And there was a big, like, we had a big diverse group of girls in our class so it was actually no problems with like I think like we were all quite because there was a lot of girls we kind of didn't really have any problems with it um I think the males are also felt a bit under you know underpowered so they also wouldn't do anything about it so it was a really nice atmosphere actually it was a good good place to be there was a diverse group of girls um
0: yeah Actually, I can't that's, say a bad thing about it. <laughs> what, that's really great. I'm actually really happy to hear that. Because, I mean, my experience was very different. Yeah, I was in a study program. I think for me, like, more evidently was always race. Like, I think race was always the thing that stood out. I didn't. Mm-hmm. I, we were an international environment. I studied international communications. Yeah. But that doesn't always mean that there's going to be a lot of ethnic diversity. Um, so th- there wasn't. And so that was always, like kind of the the main thing but but feminism was was mm. or misogyny actually was always present though mm. i think that you would have teachers that were kind of like outspoken feminist and they would make sure to include that yeah in their classes and for instance they would change things like our sources all of our examples would always be like he 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 you know like unless it's something specifically to like something gender like If it was, if it was example, if it was an example that needed, for instance, the example person to be a woman, like Mm -hmm. then they would use she, her, but in any other example, it was always a man. So we would have teachers that would actually go out of their ways to, to change these examples and make them women or look up, um, extra readings by female authors and things like that. But it wasn't, it wasn't, you know everyone and that was that was very disappointed but also like one thing that I noticed is that just in general like the the labeling yourself a feminist in the Netherlands is always kind of like it's taken like I mean do normal you know yeah (laughs) like that mentality of you're doing so much by labeling yourself like I I do feel like in, in in the principles of you know Dutch culture there is a lot of gender equality promoted mm-hmm. and i think that the average person is is very yeah you know why shouldn't uh, we be treated equally because of our gender but then you know the moment you talk about like feminism that's that's doing a little too much
1: yeah that's when it gets like um there's like kind of like a bad stigma on it in some cases still that i think especially um with, like, maybe, you know, older generations or, like, males or just that like, guy. It's like, oh, you know, they're just being, like I said in the Netherlands, I would say, like, radical. This is, like, the, you know, this
0: equality, but, like, feminists, is like, that next step above, yeah. you know? Yeah, that's too radical, yeah. yeah. I mean, for sure. So I would notice that a lot in, in the professors. And then, I mean, the students were just another level. Like, yeah. the amount of things that they would say was just, like, ah. And I, I just remember, like, this one guy that mansplained who Fajokh was to me. Oh my God. And it was, it was the worst. And it's like, you tell this to people and they're always kind of like, but what is the problem? Maybe he assumed, and it was like, the problem starts with, why are you assuming that I don't know who Fajokh is? Yeah. why, are you explaining it to me in such a condescending way? Like it wasn't even a part of the conversation. You just came to me, we had to do this assignment together and you started kind of coming at me with this entitlement and supremacy, mm. mansplaining who this, who this artist is to me. And I'm like, I, I haven't been living under a rock. <laughs> yeah. just give me the chance to tell you, oh, I do know who he is. Actually, yeah. But, just give the benefit of the doubt at least. yes yes but that would happen a lot in my in my study program like that people would make these these certain comments and that uh, especially when, because we talk so much about cultures and cultural sensitivity yeah and we learned a lot that you know culture is not just your nationality but that you know your culture can can be separated in different social identities and there was always like this very big need to to emphasize how yeah but women can't or women shouldn't mm. in the classroom so those I think those conversations came up a lot which is very disappointing yeah I
1: can imagine I wouldn't like I'm sorry that happened is I wouldn't expect it of international communication right? you think like that's a very open kind of like study and people that go to this study this they have this open mindset so it's kind of disappointing to hear and yeah that they're that's not the case
0: yeah well now looking at your pleasantly surprising welcoming environment and (laughs) mine unpleasantly surprising yeah Uh, unwelcoming environment what do you think that the Hansa could do to to ensure that there isn't this big disparity
1: this is that's such a good question and it's hard with like you know universities especially because you know are you going to do it on like study wise you're going to do it faculty wise are you going to do it the whole university wise and I think like i said education education the teachers um i mean it seems like your study the teachers were educated like a little bit but i think it's education the teachers educating the students like there should be you know um there should be like a, a workshop about diversity and inclusion there should be a workshop about you know intersectional feminism like these should be like like uh seminars every student is like has to go to to get like an extra point or something because these are things that are so important right now in the world and just you know that are just making such a big role so i think like educating ourselves on that sense because you know at the end of the day you can tell people to do it but are they actually going to make that set like it's really hard for people to actually make that step and go and like research themselves and actually educate themselves if they're not you know, being told or if they've not already seen it in class or college or something before.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And I think also, like, stricter policies would also help, I think. Yeah. So especially as as you were saying, like, you know, what do you do when there's this, like, this, this power-based harassment and intimidation mm. in, in schools? How do you handle that? How do you ensure that these environments are safe for students, uh, no. for women particularly? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah,
1: it's something that I think I think the Hans definitely definitely hundred percent do a check on themselves. Also with race, I think a big lot. I think with me maybe it's been less of a race problem because I I speak Dutch and I can like I can act a certain way like the Dutch people like to see. But yeah. I can understand that you know girls that don't have that kind of safety thing that it, it's hard at the Hansa. I don't think they even said a statement when the Black Lives Matter protests were happening.
0: They did not. <laughs> no. So I was like, and
1: I think we had a big petition, like um, your friend started it or some of their friends, I think, started it. Or did you start it? I don't know. No.
0: Yeah. No, we, well, my friend started it as, yeah. as a part of Skidai.
1: Mm. So, yeah. 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 And then. Yeah, and they didn't even. Uh, did they even respond? They didn't even do it. Just respond, and I was like, that's disappointing.
0: They, As they the did. University. They kind of they invited us to like to have a conversation, but okay. it was it wasn't it wasn't really um an environment that was that was open for criticism that was open yeah. for change. And I mean, it's actually still an ongoing process, but it's been it's been underwhelming, I think, mm. is the best way to summarize it.
1: Yeah, because at least like the ruch has invited, like we were invited for a blog to do, you know, a workshop about, you know, discrimination, racism and inclus- inclusivity at the ruch, And they, I think they also wanted to start making it like a more common workshop that people can go to. And I was like, that's at least a step in the right direction. Even yes. if it's a small step, it is a step. And it is a step that we like to see. Um, yeah.
0: Yeah. I mean, actually, even the RUG contacted us. <laughs> and yes. I mean, it eventually didn't, like we, we for, for practical reasons, it couldn't happen. But mm-hmm. the RUG also contacted us. And it was like, it's so sad because all of our lobbying and advocacy efforts have been in the Hansa. And yeah. the ones that reach out are the Ruh. <laughs> yeah, exactly. yeah.
1: Yeah. It's yeah. too bad. But um, I mean, hopefully they find like they will wake up one day and actually see the light and start fixing before it's too late, you know, because it's just a reputation on university. If your university gets a reputation that they're not, you know, moving forward in time and, you know, including and then it's going to be their own downfall at the end yeah. of the day.
0: Yeah, you're very right. Well, Mwe, I think our time is coming to an end. Um, But before that, I would really like to ask you one last question, and that is, why do you think feminism is necessary today still?
1: This is another great question. Um, (laughs) uh, Yeah, so why is feminism so necessary today? I think it's necessary because um, looking at this, you know, the bigger picture, a lot of women are still being oppressed in a lot of different ways if it's in you know the workforce if it's at home if it's you know at school we're still being seen as second place and not first place you know looking at then uh, intersectional feminism you know you put the black women and the women asian women and the other women like even behind that so it's you know we need to kind of it's still needed because we still have to fight a lot of battles to get the equality and to get them to where a place where you know, everyone is seen equally um, and everyone's seen at the same kind of place. And that's not it. You know, it's at the moment, it's that's not the case. At the moment, the men are still on top and there's the, the white men are still on top. And then the white women are on top, maybe. And then it's a black man and then it's maybe an Arabian man or something. And then it's uh, maybe on the bottom of the barrel, it's like a black woman or something like that. Yeah. So, um, there's still a lot of work to be done, but it's a step in the right direction. Like I always try to say, like it's, we're getting there and, you know, if we all work together and can combine forces eventually in time, we'll make a brighter future.
0: Yeah. Well, awesome. That, that was a great answer. Yes. And, uh, I'm really excited to see where blog goes next and hopefully we can sit down for another one of these awesome conversations in the future. Yeah. I would love that. But could I ask why you think feminism is still necessary today? Mm, Well, you know, I think that I I would link it a lot to what you said about the importance of of having intersectional feminism. I think that we haven't fully explored that. First of all, we haven't fully explored um, the the extent to which um, of action that we need to really be intersectionally inclusive um and that is because we haven't really understood that feminism needs to go hand in hand with diversity and inclusion and we haven't yeah. really accepted that as a society and and secondly because well women are still not equal to men i think that's the yeah. most plain and simple answer to add there and, and not just that i think that in so many areas i mean if we look at the at the the pay, the gender pay cap, for instance, mm-hmm. which is a small example. Women are still, we're still not there yet, and I think no. until women feel that freedom, not only you know politically, societally, academically, economically, mm. to to be themselves without having to fit in any box, without um, having the patriarchy um, harm them or make these decisions for them, we will need feminism.
1: Yeah.
0: I agree. That's a beautiful way that
1: you said that. Thank you. Well, thank
0: you. Thank you for joining me today. Yes. Thank you. No, thank you for having me. And I'd love to have another chat um, whenever. (laughs) Of course. Of course. All right, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. And well, till next time.